welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 154. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing the original series' first season episodes, The Conscious of the King, Balance of Terror, and Shore Leave. Here we go. The Conscience of the King, Season 1, Episode 13, Production Code 013, Original Air Date, December 8, 1966, Directed by Gerd Oswald, Written by Barry Trivers, Music Composed by Joseph Mullendore, Guest Cast Include Arnold Moss as Anton Caridian or Kodos, Barbara Anderson as Lenore Caridian, Bruce Hyde as Lieutenant Kevin Thomas Riley, William Sargent as Dr. Thomas Layton, Natalie Norwick as Martha Layton, Carl Brook as King Duncan, Mark Adams as Hamlet, and Eddie Paskey as Lieutenant Leslie. The Enterprise has been called to Planet Q by Dr. Thomas Layton, a research scientist and friend of Captain Kirk. Dr. Layton has claimed to have discovered a new synthetic food source. As a result, the Enterprise diverts from its scheduled course to come to the planet. Upon arriving, however, Kirk discovers that synthetic food discovery claim was just a ruse employed by Dr. Layton to bring Kirk to Planet Q. I checked with the library computer, just as you did. I got the same information. Aren't you getting a little out of line, Mr. Spock? My personal business? It's my personal business when it might interfere with the smooth operation of this ship. You think that happened? It could happen. I don't like anyone meddling in my private affairs, not even my second-in-command. Jim! Spock's simply trying to... I know what he's trying to do, and I don't like it. It's his job, and you know it. The Conscience of the King. Uh, listeners, I'm mostly over my cold, but I've still got it just a little bit. Um, so, sorry for that. I really love this episode. I think this is a fantastic episode. I really do. It, I, I, I totally understand. I, mean, I believe I read this. this episode had some of the worst, if not the worst, ratings of the whole first season, because it's... It's mostly just talking heads. Um, I get that. It's probably hard to trailer this thing and you know get the kids excited. But I just really like this episode. I think there's so much great writing and excellent performances. You know, I, I have so many good things to say. I'll, I'll integrate it better into our discussion. Um, Steve, why don't you kick? You, what do you kick us off? What are your first thoughts about the Conscious of the King? Yeah, I uh, I always like this episode, and I think it's very um, memorable. And uh, and again, we get this kind of um, lived-in universe feel because we see this uh, uh, Lieutenant Riley again. I think it's the only, only other time he's we see him. And uh, then uh, Kirk's history, of course, and you know, it's, it's there's a bit of a mystery going on and the intrigue and such, which makes it makes it, makes it interesting and. Uh, I always remember, I think some odd things I always remember, I remember that creepy uh, black thing on the guy's face that's supposed mm-hmm. to be covering whatever <laughs> happened to him or whatever, but it looks like it's like someone stretched a, I don't know what, but, uh, and the uh, spray bottle and the milk, like, I don't know, it's a cleanser or something that <laughs> poisoned him with is what it looks like, but uh uh, yeah, I think it's it's the episode. It's got a definitely has a theme and it's interesting and has some depth and so forth. Adam, um, yeah, I'd have to agree with you, Brian. I I enjoyed this episode too. I wasn't sure if I would like when it first came on. I was like, oh yeah, I remember this one, and I couldn't remember. Honestly, I couldn't remember how much I liked it, but by the time it was done, I really enjoyed it because even though. I, there's not a lot action wise there's not a lot going on it's more kind of like a, a crime drama almost this um this episode um i enjoyed the the you know kirk in the beginning you know he's wrestling with how much he's going to pursue this and you know once once his friend Leighton dies he's he's very much into pursuing this but in kind of secretive um, you know he doesn't tell spock or mccoy or anything like that and he kind of has this whole ruse going on even with um the daughter um, you know, it's kind of a ruse. He's just trying to get to the bottom of this. He's using yeah. His- that's just about the darkest. You know, you think about Kirk. You know, Kirk's womanizing. Boy, this is really coming from a dark. He's he's doing that to get close to the villain. Yeah, you know, <laughs> they're at least who he perceives to be the villain. You know, it's that's that's very that's that's Kirk coming from a place that we don't see a lot. You know, you you, you spend a lot of times wondering is this. Um, is he doing this um, for justice or revenge? Or vengeance? 
or you know i mean what what what's motivating him here really because there's a there's an area of this that seems like maybe it's a dark place and maybe he's maybe he realizes that and is that why he's keeping you know he he at least realizes that there's a possibility that that his motivations are coming from a dark place and and maybe that's why he's keeping um Spock and McCoy in the dark, you know? Yeah, and that comes to realization, you know, in that scene in his quarters when Spock and McCoy finally confront him. This the scene in Kirk's quarters. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 the finest scene in this episode, and it's one of my favorite scenes in all the original series. I love that scene. I love that scene. Sometimes I forget that scene is so good that it kind of stands out from the episode to me. Sometimes I like you know, I, I, I forget what episode it's from, but I can I can at any point I can you know, that that, that moment where Kirk jumps up in in defiance of some of the things that Spock is saying, you know, and then McCoy has to say, you know, he's right and you know it. He's doing his job, you know. It's, it's a great scene. Good yeah, no. it's good writing. Yeah, yeah, we get a lot of soul searching from Kirk right there because he's he's not sure why he's doing. You know, he could be vengeance. It could be yeah. And there are only like two people in the whole galaxy who could say these things to him, and he would act. He would really, really consider, you know. Uh, you know what they're saying, and 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 accept that maybe there is something uh, dark going on here in in his own psyche, and that's Spock and McCoy. You really see Kirk uh, in this episode. Um, you really see like Spock. I love that. I love that Spock. He just can't. His own like inquisitive nature. Like he can't let it go. He has to investigate. Mm-hmm. You know, and he feels uncom- he obviously feels uncomfortable investigating, to a, to a degree, investigating Kirk, his friend. Um, but you know, when he whenever he's given the names, feeding the names to the computer, the last one he says is Kirk, and he's kind of hesitant. You could tell he doesn't feel real comfortable about this, but he's been placed in this position, and and he's got he's got those boring halves inside of himself too, um, and he he has to know, he has to he has to investigate. And who's the only person you can talk to? McCoy. So we get yeah. we get not only that great scene you you brought up uh, in Kirk's quarters, but we get like two different scenes between um, Spock and McCoy that are really good. And the first one, McCoy is a lot. He's almost you know humorous. But by the second one, when they're walking in the corridor, and it's it's great too because it's it's a nice smart way to put in all this exposition that Spock gets out about the you know the um, bad stuff that Codus the Executioner did. Um, but it doesn't really feel like exposition. It feels like you know Spock is 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 trying to convince McCoy <laughs> successfully. I guess the one thing that I didn't kind of understand because so like there were he killed four Kodos killed four thousand, but four thousand lived. So I was kind of curious how there could only be like nine people. Was that was that your take? Steve, that four thousand lived. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because he said half, but yeah, it oh, didn't. Okay. But I don't understand, yeah, that either. Quite how why it's only so many people could ID the guy, you know, or whatever. Like, where do you hide out and no one ever saw a picture or video of him or something? And he, well, they even had a picture of him. They had a picture. Yeah, yeah they had one there. Yeah. That thing that was on the guy's face at the beginning. Maybe he had two of those. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's kind of bizarro, you know. Yeah, it was a weird plot point that I don't know. That just kind of. But, it, you know, it was minor, but it just made me think, like, well, how can, how can there only be, like, several people that had seen this guy as a governor mm-hmm. and all that? I think it's interesting, too, the uh, kind of the motivation, because you talked about that, what what's driving Kirk. And on one hand, yeah, okay, he witnessed what this guy did. It's, uh, you know, he's got a – they're trying to, I think, make some kind of obsess, obsession thing go on, too. But, you know, what's the primary deal? Is it because his friends got killed, the, you know, this guy with the mask, or, is, you know, or is it – because he saw this. Yeah, I figured it was because he saw. I mean, it, he, his family clearly wasn't with him or something. But he right. must have seen this this incredible horror of four thousand people being murdered. I think more of a personal story he could have told about about it would have kind of helped. And him. I think that might be. Yeah, that's a little bit of the angle that is maybe missing a bit because it's kind of the emotion part isn't there so much. You know, like yeah. you you get it. You get why you know it's a big deal to him. Why he's gonna obsess over it but it's not you know you're kind of missing the well, what's the what's the personal angle why is he you know what's he feel out of this or something yeah especially for the vengeance part you know if he's going to be eventual i see that but but i don't i wouldn't say i miss it i i think it it's appropriate actually that's not the right word that's not the word i mean i think it's more effective that it's not here mm-hmm. because we, time and again during this episode we get that reserved 
emotional Kirk, you know what I mean? Where it's just beneath the surface. I think if there was some kind of story like that, it would have been hard to keep it. I mean, keep it there for him. I think it would have, I think it's more effective the way it is. I mean, even look at that very, very last scene um, when McCoy is telling Kirk that uh, the daughter, I forget her name, that the daughter, you know, is going to be taken care of. He's like, didn't, you had feelings for you, didn't, didn't, didn't you? You can't answer that. You're not going to answer that question, are you? You know, and Kirk just keeps looking straight on and doesn't answer. Because in his role as captain, you know, he, he, he keeps that veneer, even even in front of Spock and McCoy, even in private. Mm-hmm. I personally think it's it's effective that he doesn't have that. We get that with other people. We get that with Riley, for example, mm-hmm. you know. And I like the little storyline with, with Riley, too. Yeah, why did he send him to engineering? That was the other thing. I thought he, see, I thought he sent him just to keep him, uh, so that he wouldn't run into. Maybe that's, yeah. Maybe that's it. Photos. Although somehow the daughter who was actually doing the nefarious deeds, somehow she knew that he got sent to engineering. That's another thing too. She's pretty stealthy too. She's pretty stealthy gal. You know, she must have been like really happy whenever the captain of that other ship called up and said, yeah, you know, I can't pick you up. She must have been like, yes, now I can go to the Enterprise and kill Riley and Kirk. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe she was laughing inside when he said, you wouldn't believe me if I said I arranged it. I I also enjoyed the scenes with um, Kodos. You know, those scenes in Kodos's quarters. and Yeah, you know, no, that's, he's, he's really good, you know. He's got just a couple of moments when he emotes a great deal, but he's he was a great actor in this, in this uh-huh. episode. Yeah, and I it's, and it's freaky, great. too. When you think about, like, the episode opens, you see him, obviously. And then you don't see him again for, like, a half an hour. He's all everybody's talking about, but you don't yeah. see him for a long, long, long time, you know. And it's his good performance, I think, that... Uh, Makes that not matter. Yeah, the end scene with his daughter there, where he's like, "Well, you've left me nothing." Those were good. Those were good dramatic scenes. The actor did a good job. They yeah, I mean, if I was being really picky, the daughter seems to go pretty nutty pretty fast. Mm-hmm. At least compared to all the scenes we had with her before that, when she seems, even if she's just acting, uh-huh, uh, where she seems pretty with it. I can get that though. I mean, you know, you're basically your whole psyche, your whole. Um persona has just been torn apart so i could see that you know her going all crazy i mean you know she's killing murdering people and so she's got this persona and then that's just completely destroyed there at the end when her father is killed and she's kind of discovered so i can I, yeah it didn't bother me yeah i chuckled i chuckled a great deal meaning at least three chuckles whenever the uh enterprise theme had that little jazz arrangement <laughs> <laughs> at the cock talk cocktail party mm-hmm <laughs> Baseball may not survive, folks, but apparently jazz and cocktails do. <laughs> like the double red alert. The double red alert, yeah. yeah yes. I think, yeah. was this the only time they do that? Maybe maybe there was like one other time. Yeah, I don't recall. Like, but they didn't have yellow yet, right? Or whatever. Right. You know. oh, did they use a new um, digital enterprise, you know, a new, you know, the camera angles with the enterprise in the beginning. It was that in the teaser or right out of the teaser. I couldn't remember if they'd used that one before. Now you're talking about the new effects version again, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I think they came all the way across the ship and back behind it. Or, you know, I think I've seen that in next gen, but it, I couldn't remember if we'd seen that before in this or not, but I enjoyed that. Yeah, as well. I'm not sure. This might've been one of the earlier ones they could air since it had so few effects changes, you know, hmm. I mean, of, of the new, when they did right. the remaster, because the, when they started doing those in 2006, they did not do it in uh, production or even broadcast order. I think that was in like popularity order just to get people hooked on the new effects or something. Yeah. What's this episode about, gentlemen? Um, a little bit of a set obsession, justice, um, demons of your past, you know, it's kind of what I kind of took. I got to say, I remember the episode Obsession. For some reason, I was obsessed with the episode Obsession <laughs> in my 20s. That's the episode, folks, that where Kirk is obsessed with the gas cloud that's killing people. Remember that one? Mm-hmm. Um, somehow, I was obsessed with Obsession in the in my 20s. But I think this episode does a better job with Obsession than Obsession does with Obsession. <laughs> hmm. Discussion for a later time when we see Obsession. Yeah, when we do obsession. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with. Um, I know it's kind of broad, but you definitely have this this notion of of fixating on on one thing and where it can lead you. What's interesting is you have you know Kirk's breaking some rules to you know solve a, basically a personal mystery, um, 
but you know, so he's got the obsession too. But of course, um, the Caridian's daughter, you know, has decided. Well, I'm gonna. My singular goal in life is to protect my father by murdering everybody who can identify him. I mean, obviously that's taking a fixating on one thing and so on too. But obviously, leads that's dedication. Dedication. Yeah. Yeah. Dedicated obsession. That's a dedicated offspring. Well, you also see the, um, you know, what they're trying to, you know, this obviously has some World War II implications with it. Um, kind of how, you know, the Hol- at least that's kind of what I saw. That's kind of, kind of mirrored like the Holocaust, maybe some German war crime people that fled the, fled the scene, that kind of stuff. That's kind of how I felt initially watching. Well, this there's episode. definitely a little bit of, you know, I think, I think. No, Spock literally uses the term eugenics. Mm-hmm. You know, there's 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 a hinting of that there. You know, that that Kodos made these decisions about who lives and who dies based on, you know, who he thought were the the humans that should be you know, going moving yeah. on and the superior people basically. Um, hmm. All right, so an episode that I really this is this is an interesting one because. Um, I think I, I'm pretty sure I more or less, you know, over the years as a child saw most Star Trek episodes. But the ones you remember from when you were a kid were, you know, he's black on the left side. I'm black. I'm black. On the right side. <laughs> That's what, but when I was a little bit older, like a young adult, the contents of the king was one of the first episodes where I, I was really blown away by how great it was and how much I didn't appreciate it when I was maybe a little bit younger. It was one of the first episodes that had me thinking that way. So, a very good one. I love this episode. All right, let's do... Six Degrees for the Conscience of the King. Adam, are you going first or second? Um, I'll go first. This episode features the series' only appearance of the room above the flight deck. Also, well, flight deck, shuttle bay, whatever you want to call it. This, this episode features the only appearance of the room above the shuttle bay. What's the name of that room? Kirk takes the uh, daughter there. The observation deck? You are correct, observation deck. Somehow I always remember that. <laughs> I can always picture Kirk with the uh, daughter. What's her name? I feel like such a jack, but saying daughter. What's, what's the character's name? Uh, Lenore Caridian. Lenore. Right, Lenore. Uh, okay, Steve. This episode mm-hmm. is the final appearance in the production timeline, though not broadcast order. For which recurring character? Oh, uh, Yeoman Rand. You are correct. Last time for Yeoman Rand. I don't think she has any lines, but she, but she walks in and gives Lenore a dirty look. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Balance of Terror, Season 1, Episode 14, Production Code 009, Original Air Date, December 15th, 1966, Directed by Vincent McAvity, Written by Paul Schneider, Music Composed by Fred Steiner, Guest Cast Include Mark Leonard as Romulan Commander, Lawrence Montaigne as Decius, Paul Comey as Lieutenant Stiles, John Warburton as Centurion, Stephen Mines as Lieutenant Robert Tomlinson, Barbara Baldavin as Lieutenant Angela Martine, Gary Wahlberg as Hanson, John Arndt as Fields, and Robert Chadwick as Romulan Scanner Operator. The Enterprise is inspecting a line of manned Federation outposts, only to find they are being destroyed by an unknown enemy. While Kirk officiates at the wedding of Lieutenant Robert Thomason and Ensign Angela Martin, an alarm sounds and they learn that Outpost 4 near the Romulan neutral zone has come under attack. No human, Romulan, or ally has ever seen the other. Earth believes the Romulans to be warlike, cruel, treacherous. And only the Romulans know what they think of Earth. Balance of Terror. Oh, boy, do I love this one. Look at that. We get two fantastic episodes in a row. And one that's all talking heads, and the other one that is all action, at least for original series. Um, I, I've i always loved this episode. This is definitely one that I loved as a kid and still love now, and I... You know, I was thinking about... I, honestly, I this is one of the, I don't know, dozen episodes of the original series. I've watched so many times that I have a lot of the lines memorized, you know. And I was kind of think, trying to think about what 
you know, why do I love this episode so much? I think probably the single most significant thing, and there's a lot to love, um, you know, a Star Trek fan, you know, you're going to like the Romulans and they're so well um, defined. Uh, and we get them for the first time really here. But I think it's, I think it's how smart and multidimensional the Romulan commander is that not only makes this episode so rewatchable for me, but probably had a lot to do with how enduring the Romulans would be, you know, because they're just so immediately well-defined. Think about that first Ferengi appearance in Next Gen. (laughs) You know, who the hell are the Ferengi after that? You really, you don't know. Here, they could have never given us Romulans again, and you know, you feel like you know their entire culture up and down from this one appearance, right? Um, so that's probably the single biggest thing for me that is that is so good. And, and you know, Mark, of course, Mark Lennon's performance is fantastic. Um, but there's lots of other fantastic things in here. Um, again, a full-on Kirk episode, and there's so many great things with Kirk. I will save those for a moment and ask uh, Adam, what are some of your first thoughts on Balance of Terror? Balance of Terror, yes. Obviously, it's one of the more favorited episodes, I believe, in the original series and probably in all of Star Trek. And um, for obvious reasons, you know, it's, um, it's a cat and mouse episode between Kirk and the Romulan commander. And what kind of makes, to me, what kind of makes this episode stand out for Kirk is like, you know, you get to see him be a captain and you get to see why he's such a great captain because he's very strategical about what he's doing what he's thinking, um, how he's looking at his enemy, in this case, the Romulans. Um, and we also kind of get, we get to see, you know, the inner emotional part of Kirk in this one, you know, he's struggling with what to do when he's in his quarters with McCoy. So those are all kind of, you know, these are all great things that we get to see from the character Kirk. And the reason is so, you know, what you mentioned before, the reason that, that it makes this episode even better, you see that on the opposite end with the, with the Romulan commander. You know, you see how smart and how cunning and how they kind of respect each other because they're, you know, they're so intelligent in their craft and what they're doing. Um, you know, this is a classic, you know, hunting the submarine type of episode, you know, those old movies, you know, submarine movies or, or naval m- movies and um, just the um, the chess match between the two of them and who's going who's going to come away and so it's really cool, it's a really great episode I could probably watch it over and over again the rest of my life. Steve, your uh, first reaction? Yeah, yes, this is one of my favorite original series episodes and uh, it's funny, I remember um, I, I don't know how much I can add to whatever what's been said because it's all the same reasons I think, but um, I remember, and I think I've mentioned before that I, my oldest memories of the original series was, uh, um, my dad watched it periodically, um, when I was quite little, you know, like in syndication and I, you know, I caught bits and pieces, you know, and sometime in the eighties, I got more into it and then really I got into next gen and then kind of went back and watched the original series. But I remember, and he always liked this episode a lot too. I mean, there was a little bit of, I always remember he likes this episode a lot. And, uh, and that's pretty cool. And I, and, and that, uh, and he, and that, I think it's one of those, you know, you talked about seeing it when you're younger and seeing, and then like it too. It's one of these kind that works, when, you know, cause you can like it for different reasons as a kid or whatever. And then as an adult too, you know, like, um, I don't know when the last time I saw this, maybe five years ago, something like that. And then before that, maybe another 10 years. And then as a kid, I don't know. But, you know, I, I, you could probably have a different angle at, at why I liked it every time, you know. Versus, was it the action? Is it the, in, in the aliens and whatnot? Is it the uh, the characterization? Um, the, you know, and then, of course... I mean, what I thought of this time when I watched it, I was thinking, man, this is this is so good for so many reasons. You know, it's everything we've talked about. It's, you know, you've got the the the, the family history of the guy on the bridge, the bigotry, and you know that 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 angle, and then how he starts treating Spock too, and uh, um, and at the same time, you know, you have of of this race we've never seen. You know, it's a big deal premiere of the Romulans, and um, and it's and it's immediately they're not only fleshed out, but you have. Uh, a respectable lead villain, quote unquote, and it's not like a you know it's the farthest thing from a 
twirling mustache kind of villain, right? I mean, it's yeah. something you can relate to. It's like the whole, and of course he gives that speech toward the end before he blows up his ship, but, uh, you know, it could have been friends in another universe or whatever. Um, you know, all that stuff, and it it, 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 it comes it kind of comes to the heart of Star Trek, really, because it, it really is like, you know, um, whatever our differences are, you know, we we have we have things that we can come together and relate to and and this notion of sometimes we're victims of circumstance, you know, in this situation, you know, the whole angle they gotta track him down, they gotta, you know, fight because it's the it's the code they're under or whatever and all the the rules of engagement and whatever, but uh deep down all that's an unfortunate that you know we should be able to live in peace this kind so all these kind of ideas i think are in there too that that make star trek what it is so even from like from the enterprises side from from kirk and spock and uh, from their point of view it's like um, i don't know i guess the concept is that they need to have a battle to prevent a war yeah yeah so it's 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 the same kind of they want peace, but <laughs> there seems to be no conflict-free way to achieve it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, to me, this all—I think I said it before—is like this episode really encompasses what it's like to be a captain, almost a day in a life, because this episode takes place in one day. You know, you see the highs right in the beginning. You know, he's officiating a wedding, and you know, he says, you know, it's one of the happiest duties of a captain. Mm-hmm. And by the end of this episode, he's consoling, you know, he's giving mm-hmm. the bad news. And everything in between is everything it seems like what it takes to be a captain and what you kind of have to go through, those highs and lows and those struggles and that emotional thing. And, he, and even from there, you get that also from the Romulan point of view, you know, losing a dear friend that he had on, on the ship. So I, I guess if you were going to be have a captain school, you'd probably want to show this episode because it could kind of encompass everything, you know. And it is such an eloquent you know, storytelling mechanism, how they bookend it that way too, with the, they're going to get married. And then at the end, he's having to console, you know, because of the the death of one of these people, you know, and it's, so it's very serious. It's not, there's nothing, there's nothing chipper about this ending in the least, but at the same time, you have a satisfied feel. It doesn't feel like it's a depressing episode really, you know, it's, I got to say just purely aesthetic comment that, that one of the last shots, where uh, the fiancé is kind of sit kneeling and in the foreground and mm-hmm. the background, the door the, the opens and uh, Kirk is standing there in the doorway. That's one of the coolest shots in the entire original series. That yeah. shot is so awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh. And th- you know, that's something, too, that in the earliest episodes of the original series, I think they do it more there than later for some reason, but there's a lot more kind of... Um, I don't know, artsy direction in a sense. You know, you get these... Yeah. It, it was comparatively still, you know... Yeah. It wasn't the highest budget show, but, you know, each season they lost money. Yeah. You know, which means each season they had, you know, they were doing stuff... Well, it's time to do these fun shots. Yeah, faster. Had to do stuff faster. I mean, something like that last shot, that shot that I'm commenting on, God, how long would that have taken them? To, even today, that shot would take forever to set up, but back then, geez. Hmm. Yeah, I even li- I even like the end shot where you just see Kirk walking down the the corridor by himself. Yep. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, he has to he has to get back to, you know, that he's he's taking care of that and now. He's got to do his other duties, right? Kind of kind of gives you kind of that lonely sense of being captain because he's just kind of walking down the corridor by himself. Because we're talking about Kirk, um, there's a moment uh, when the Enterprise reverses course and is going like, what are they? They're going like warp backwards or something. I don't know, um, and uh, that crazy Romulan weapon is coming at them, you know, and then it kind of mm-hmm. dissipates and and you've got Kirk and he says, limited range, you know, it's just like wonder and excitement. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, now he's got, now he's got his, um, a beat on him, you know, mm-hmm. there's so many great lines, I think in this episode, I, I can hear, I can hear Mark Leonard saying, we have him move toward him. I can hear him saying that. Like any, I haven't, I haven't watched this episode in years either, and I can still hear him say those lines. <laughs> you know, yeah, it kind of has a, you know, the Wrath of Khan. Yeah, feel, you know, definitely. The, What's this episode about? To me, it was, um, it was a character driver for Kirk. Just kind of, you know, like I said before, just what it is like to be a captain. What you know, the highs and lows, the responsibilities from top to bottom. You know, a sense of duty, honor. You know. 
And I think there is that, as we've alluded to, the the notion of sometimes you gotta, um, you know, there's a sacrifice. You have to sacrifice to keep to keep peace, you know. And the w- this episode touches on that in um, in a number of ways. You obviously have they've got to chase down and, and destroy this ship to avert a war. That's part of the notion. You also have the you know the death of this minor character that we that they find a way to make it a personal and touching thing by having the wedding at the top and all of that and um so there's another sacrifice and uh, you know i i think i think that's another key component here too so it's funny you mentioned um early memories you have of watching the original series with your father and that he really liked this episode I think I mentioned I've been playing select episodes for my five-year-old. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's amounted to like one episode of the three from our podcasts each. Mm-hmm. Each, you know, I realize his early memories are going to be Star Trek to him now means Daddy is sitting there with his laptop t- taking notes because <laughs> <laughs> I've played Balance of Terror for him and uh, I hadn't typed anything in a couple of minutes, and he said like. Hurry, Daddy! Right, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, that's interesting. It'll, it'll equate it it'll equate it to like work, you know, like yeah, you've yeah, got to like yeah. actively be doing something, it's not just entertainment Research. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Let's do six degrees for balance of terror. Oh golly, I do not remember our score. I think you you each got it, so it's one to one. And Adam had the shot first. So, Steve, are you going first or second? Oh, first. Mark Leonard plays the Romulan commander that does not like keeping any trash aboard his vessel. <laughs> of course, he is best known to Trek fans as Sarek's box father. Name any of the three live-action episodes of Trek that featured Sarek. That's an easy one. Okay. Um. How about Sarek? Very good. For no bonus points, can you name the other two? Uh, Journey to Babel. Yes. And Unification Part 1. Outstanding. Adam? Yes. Lawrence Montaigne plays Decius, Decius, the Romulan that does a poor job advising his commander. In Amok Time, Montaigne plays the guy that Spock's girl actually wants. Name his character. Woo! In, um... In Amok Time. I have no idea what his character's name He's is. He's still alive. He's like in his mid-80s. I've seen him at conventions many times over the years. Steve, do you remember the character's name? See, I'm, I'm, remember, I'm trying to remember the, the, what, the, what she's saying in that episode. I've seen it enough where, you know, kind of the rhythm of it and stuff. Is it like Ston? Outstanding. It is Ston. Nice. Nice work. Wow, look at that. Uh, Steve has three. Adam has one. We are moving on. Shore Leave, Season 1, Episode 15, Production Code 017, Original Air Date, December 29, 1966, Directed by Robert Sparr, Written by Theodore Sturgeon, Music Composed by Gerald Fried. Guest Cast Include Marcia Brown as Alice, Emily Banks as Yeoman Tanya Barrows, Oliver McGowan as The Caretaker, Perry Lopez as Esteban Rodriguez, Barbara Baldevin as Lieutenant Angela Martin, Bruce Mars as Finnegan, Shirley Bond as Ruth, and Sebastian Tom as The Warrior. On Stardate 3025.3, the Federation starship USS Enterprise arrives at a planet in the Omicron Data Delta system. Scams reveal the planet to be congenial, and the crew is exhausted after three months of continuous operation. Captain Kirk announces shore leave for all off-duty personnel, but not long after beaming down, the landing parties experience strange occurrences. Which supports a theory I've been formulating. We're all meeting people and things that we happen to be thinking about at the moment. Yes, somehow our thoughts are read. These things are quickly manufactured and provided for us. Dangerous if we happen to be thinking about it. Yes, we must all control our thoughts. You know, I have to say, this is one episode, for, for as much as I love the other two episodes that we discussed today... This is an episode that I never really cared for. It, it's it got some stuff in it that I like. You know, um, I wonder if this episode sets the record for percentage that they are, you know, actually out in the real world. Mm. You know, it's it's not, there aren't a lot of sets. They're actually, like, actually out where there are real trees. <laughs> you know, that, mm. and that's, that's fun to see. Sometimes the 
budget and time of a 60s TV show shines through in those instances where you've got somebody so lit that there's a weird shadow or something that you wouldn't have in the real world. But um, overall, I, I enjoy that. No doubt my single favorite thing is just if you are a human being, when D. Kelly smiles, it's got to warm your heart. Like, this is one of the few times he's really, really smiling, not just like the little ones he normally does. But, you know, McCoy with a genuine smile is a lovely thing. But overall, this is an episode that I've always thought suffered a bit from kind of an uneven writing, an uneven tone. Like, the tone is weird, the way it jumps from serious to, I don't know. What are some of your guys' first thoughts on Shore Leaf? Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty memorable episode. Um, I, I'll i give it this. It's um, I'll agree with you, it's not the best episode, but I'll I'll say it's it's entertaining, if nothing else. There's a, you know, the pace keeps you going with what's going on. I mean, you know, there's so many different things that are happening. It's kind of, it's almost too fantastical, I think, to me. I know it, it asks the audience to make a kind of a big leap. You know, you're seeing a, a bunny and, you know, from Alice in Wonderland and all these different things popping up that kind of, at, at certain points, kind of get a little bit ridiculous. But, um, so I kind of see where you're coming from and it's a little uneven, but I wouldn't say it's a, I wouldn't say it's a bad episode because I, I was entertained. I like the pacing and the structure of the episode and the look and the feel. It does seem like this was always a popular episode. I mean, everybody kind of, you know, seems to know this episode. Yeah. It's cause it's got a lot of memorable scenes in it. Steve. Yeah. I think it's, um, I, I, I do like the interactions between, you know, some of our characters and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I do think it's kind of, Goofy, I don't know, at time. I mean, you know, I mean, if there's, it's a, what do you, what do you expect given the topic? But I think it's one of these that might be better on paper or something. You know, it's it's kind of uh, because you know, unless you have some crazy budget or maybe it wasn't even possible on you know, on television back in this age, some of this stuff, I don't know that you can really do it to make it not kind of goofy. You know, when you start talking about Alice and the White Rabbit and the um, um, I and mean, that becomes like the whole premise is well, why is this happening? What's going on? You know, and and it's almost like one of these also were a little bit ahead of them. This notion that I was just thinking about this, and then this thing popped up, and then it's like, but it's not like they're, it's occurring to them that well, what I'm thinking about happens to be here, and they don't immediately say what on earth and beam me up or something. You know, I mean, it's it's that's a little far fetched, but as smart as our character, kind of does a disservice to our characters because we all know they're smart and intelligent, and yeah, it takes them a little too long to connect all the dots in this in this episode it's also got uh that man that that fight near the end between kirk and finnegan yeah holy crap you could do like a whole episode of star trek in that amount of time i swear that fight is so long <laughs> it's the yeah. longest fight. and of course it has ridiculous um amounts of who's that guy who's that guy yeah. oh but, sure sure uh, God, it's just so long. It's, and every time you think it's over, it's not. There's like one more. There's like one more punch. Give me one more. And then Kirk's shirt magically just gets ripped up. Yeah, it's like the fight in They Live. That's what it feels like. It just he goes on for <laughs> eight hours. It's nuts. They don't ever really explain the, the little TV antenna looking thing that keeps popping up in front of the camera. <laughs> yeah. Today. yeah, it's pretty goofy. Yeah, also, yeah. I think that's what, st- st- to allude to what Steve said, there's some, there's some goofiness in this episode. You know, I think it's like, I kind of like to think of it as classic Star Trek goofiness. I mean, you know, this is... It's got some funny up. moments, like on, yeah. on, on the Enterprise near the beginning, the bit with uh, Spock, or Kirk thinks Spock is the one yeah. massaging his back, and then he realizes... Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. That's funny. That makes me laugh out loud. <laughs> yeah. Or even, um, you know, when Spock is kind of tricking Kirk into assigning himself shortly, if you know mm-hmm. what he's doing. Uh, yeah. But Kirk is so... You know that that's funny. That you know, it's got it's got funny moments. Sulu fire, firing a gun, he just finds an alien planet. It's kind of silly. <laughs> yeah, or or what, what's I just name? found this gun on, a, on an alien planet. It's like a, what cops use. And it's... You know, at, after a bunch of weird stuff going on, mm-hmm. for what's your name to be like? I think I'll put on that that dress. <laughs> you no, know? and to be like, I'd love to see you in it. Yeah, let's let's. Stop whatever we were doing and well, put that dress on. Let me, let, let me stand up to a, a, a knight on a horse jousting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like that. I like that uh, McCoy actually gets kind of a a moment where 
I guess he's sort of hitting on her, right? But oh, it's, yeah. it's it's hitting it's on her girl. for McCoy. It's the very incredibly sweet McCoy hitting way of hitting on somebody. Yeah. You know? But what other episode are we going to see where McCoy gets the girl? Gosh. Because, you know, you see you see the Kirk and her beam down together. and yeah. then you know. Does that happen in any other episode? Surely there's another time when McCoy gets the girl. Surely. Surely. Oh, there's the time they're going to leave in a later episode, maybe third season, where they leave him. He thinks he has a d- disease or something, and they're going to stay on a planet um, maybe with this girl there or something. So that's it, like maybe twice. Yeah. yeah. Spock gets the girl more than that, it feels like. Yes. Yeah, so. yeah. So, you know, it's it's this episode certainly has its moments. There are too many moments that feel like a disconnect for me. There are too many times that stuff bothers me. This is not a terrible episode. Just of the three, it's the weakest, you know. It's... Yeah, especially when watched back to back with Balance of Terror and Conscious of the King. Are you kidding? You know. Yeah. yeah. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna see some episodes that are gonna make this episode look fantastic. I... You know, surely you've had some production problems. It had, it went through so many rewrites uh, that Gene Roddenberry was doing rewrites on it while they were shooting. They went over a day in shooting because they were rewriting it so constantly you know um that that usually is a bad sign for what did you guys have a, a in any of this as a scene that you liked the most <laughs> mm. i mean the like the scene you were talking about when when spock is tricking kirk like you said that's a it's a good scene good good humorous scene um one that one scene that cracks me up not in a good way is um when Sulu starts firing a gun and they all take off like it's they shot a cannon like let's all run you know and I don't know I don't know why it's funny it's just oh, so yeah. serious like gun it's like you know and it's it's follow, you know it's all big dramatic and they're all darting off to me it was more funny when they get to Sulu and they're all like <laughs> yeah 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 and, I did kind of wonder like would they know what a gun sounds like well they know what a loud sound sounds like yeah I mean you know it, it, I don't know it'd be the what would be the equivalent um, I don't know it'd be something that it's not in use anymore that you'd have to just historically have studied it to know but even even weapons today are still fired under that same basic principle that they've been for hundreds of years right so right there would be a relationship to that uh, to a sound from a couple hundred years ago versus sure, sure. A, a gunshot today. You know, I, I, it'd be the same ballpark in the way that it seems to me. You know, a phaser would not. Mm, right. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they were just running because yeah, yeah. it was a loud sound or something. I guess, <laughs> which gets back to why it would be funny. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of you know, there's a lot of uh, handheld camera work in this one, and, and it's. You know, the original series has more handheld than next-gen DS9 Voyager put together, I'm sure. Um, but you watch enough of the of those Trek incarnations, and you get used to the visual language of those shows. And it really is different from the original series, which obviously was this show produced in the 60s. Um, so it still feels a little almost out of place to me uh, when you have a bunch of those you know, handheld cameras and stuff out in, out in the woods or Vasquez rocks or wherever. Um, but it, you know, Hey, original series did it first. So <laughs> it's just cause I'm so used to watching the other shows, you know? Yeah. What's this episode about? Um, I guess careful what you, what you think about <laughs> on strange planets. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad nobody, nobody imagined the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't I don't know really. I mean, I guess in the end since there's no consequence, it's kind of like, oh, just let loose sometimes, but don't get too crazy. I don't know. It's hmm. well, by the standards of our show when we cannot answer the question, what is this episode really talking about? Was it really trying to say that usually means it's not one of the better episodes and it's not an episode that holds up. <laughs> you know what I would have loved to have seen? And I, you, I know that sounds like I'm setting up a joke, doesn't it? I'm not, I swear. Uh, I would have loved to see, you know, at the end there, McCoy shows up with the cabaret girls on his arms. Boy, you say that out loud, and you're like, how is that a bad episode? Nope. <laughs> uh, but he shows up, and he's like, they've got this underground complex where they're building all these things. I'm like, wow, I want to see that. <laughs> that sounds amazing. You know, it kind of makes you think like, 
Like, how far can they take all of this? Did they, like, scan the Enterprise as it was coming along and then, like, push some buttons and the whole planet suddenly looked more Earth-like? Yeah, I don't know. Did they go that far? That's That would be amazing. You know, they didn't have time to create cockroaches, but they got trees. Yep. Yeah. By the way, they say no bugs, but I definitely saw bugs a couple times flying around <laughs> actors' right. faces. Uh, hmm. And it's funny, too, because the way they phrase the, what's going on underground, they make it sound very mechanical. And for some reason, I picture, like, Santa's elves or something. <laughs> you know, because it's, it's, it sounds like people just building, like, ding, 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 you know, like, going around. And <laughs> that's funny you said versus, that. Versus, like, a matter-antimatter holographic kind of thing, which you'd that's where you'd go, like modern or whatever. But it sounds like people are building little mannequins and shooting them up the into the ground or whatever. I kind of imagined um, Willy Wonka's chocolate. <laughs> Just the the little Wonka guys building. Let's do six degrees for shore leave. Steve has three. Adam has one. Adam, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Bruce Mars plays Finnegan, the guy that must enjoy getting punched in the face. At the end of the original series' second season, he played the policeman named Charlie that is accidentally and briefly beamed up to the Enterprise in an episode that Roddenberry originally hoped would be a spinoff for another show. I believe this was the final episode of season two. Name the episode. I hate this episode. We won't be talking about it for a long time. Maybe I'll feel differently when we watch it this time. But uh, I do remember really hating this episode because it did not feel like an episode of Star Trek. Oh, I don't know. I'm too tired to think of it at the moment. I'm sorry, I can't think of it. I think I, I'm not even sure if I'm thinking about the same episode. This is the episode where the Enterprise is like in orbit around the Earth, and they can kind of, and like they send a jet after it. I don't know. I don't know the mm. name of the episode. Anyway, Wait, are you ahead. thinking of Tomorrow's Yesterday? Maybe, I don't know. Go ahead, Steve. You can. This is similar things where they're going back to like 60s Earth, but yeah. this is this is a different thing. Yeah, I'm having trouble coming up with the title right now of that episode. I know what you're talking about and all that, but for some reason... I assume this is the title Roddenberry hoped would be the title of the new series that did not work out. Uh, Assignment Earth. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. With that agent that was on Earth and... Yeah, no. Right. No, thank you. Uh, Steve. Yeah. Which, which season one series regular does not appear in this episode? Hmm, Okay. Scotty? You are correct. Um, so Steve for Adam won. I guess that means um, Steve's ahead for the day. Yes, yes. Steve won the World Series today. Mm-hmm. Folks, thank you so much for spending an hour with us. Um, I'm saying I'm signing off a little quick here, quickly, uh, because I would like to take a completely non-Star Trek sequitur for about 60 seconds. Adam, can you give us the uh, Cubs World Series report? <laughs> the Cubs World Series. You, you were there last night, yeah. Well, yeah, I was outside. Uh, well, not not Cleveland. You were outside of Wrigley. Yeah, I was outside of Wrigley. It was pretty insane. Um, obviously, even if anybody's watched the news in the last twenty four hours, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. The actually going to the getting to go to the games in um, in Wrigley Field over the weekend were that was amazing. It was really cool getting to be there and see the crowd. You know, as as you you two can can realize that you you've probably been to quite a few baseball games or even sporting events you know you get a kind of a nice energy or charge i think steve did you go to the world series last year when it was in- no i didn't go to an actual game no i did um, i got to see the parade and everything but yeah but the um yeah being a, it's just a weird it's a different kind of energy even when the cubs lost it was just like a weird yeah it's a like 10 it's like 100 times more heightened the energy kind mm. of level that's there so it was it was an amazing time um amazing experience so i was fortunate fortunate enough to kind of be a part of it i'll be at the parade in the morning and we're kind of dating our our podcast here but it should be pretty fun awesome for right and you know three of us enjoy baseball so much so it was um it, it was cool to see yeah so okay maybe we'll see the royals and cubs next year we can, we can <laughs> fight we can fight on air for everybody who would zobras hit for i mean you're confused. <laughs> you know what there actually was very quickly there was uh one bit of star trek news that we should mention it for 10 seconds you guys have any thoughts did you, about brian fuller it's not going to be the showrunner for discovery did you hear about that yeah i heard about it no i haven't i haven't seen anything on it yet sorry i'm a little upset about it you know i was i was very excited because I, I feel like Brian Fuller, you know, is a 
conscientious caretaker of the franchise in the way that I want to love it. I guess that was verbose, but you know what I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm. And I I worry a little bit with him not being there. Mm -hmm. Who's replacing him? Well, just one of the, one of the people that was working with him is just going to take over the full-time duties. He, cause he's just, he's working on other, other stuff and he couldn't work out his schedule, I guess. But, um, he's still involved. It's not like he's just not going to be there for the day to day. So hopefully he'll still be involved enough that I, I doubt it's going to have a grand effect on the first season since they already had all the storylines worked out and stuff. But I don't know. It was, I, I found it a little, it, it's not that it upset me. It's more like it, it, it uh, cooked off a little bit of my excitement, I guess. Yeah. Gotcha. Oh, well. Okay, folks. Uh, it's, uh, it's been great talking about these episodes of Star Trek today. And uh, as always, we are excited about talking about the next three, two weeks from now. So you can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Our email address is trekcompanion at gmail.com. Also, you can follow us on Twitter. That's at trekcompanion. Uh, I am going to a little bit extra trouble the way we're recording this episode and the way I'm editing it. So hopefully you're noticing a little bit of an improvement in the audio quality. Um, give us, send us an email. Let me know. Sound better? Can't tell? <laughs> <laughs> so thanks again, and uh, until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. I passed it.